At Holy Wisdom Monastery, our mission is shaped by values drawn from the rule of Benedict, prayer, hospitality, justice, and care for the earth. Presented by the Benedictine Women of Madison, this is the Holy Wisdom Podcast, bringing our hospitality to you. Hello everyone. Before we get started with this episode, I just wanted to give a quick notification about an upcoming virtual event that you might be interested in called Benedictine Practices for a Balanced Life. This will be held on March 27th from 2 to 4 p.m. Central Time. It costs $20 per person and the registration deadline is March 15th. If you are interested, this is specifically designed for women in their 20s to 40s and is made for having, you know, learning some guidance in a world that is just very hectic right now. And Benedictine Rule and the sisters are very good and have lots of experience about using different tools for remaining balanced and and grounded in a world that may not always feel like it is. So if you are interested, you can find the event listed on our Facebook page or on our website at holywisdommonastery.org. Now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Holy Wisdom Podcast. I am very excited for this episode because this is actually a continuation of our first episode. Once again, we have our guests, Sister Mary David and Sister Joanne. If you want to go back to the first episode and re-listen um, to get an idea of what this is, con- what story this is continuing, I very much welcome you to. But for this episode, we're going to start with Sister Joanne and continuing the story of the opening of the St. Benedict Center. Good. Thank you, Brooke. It seems important to tell our story because in 1966, the thought of Christians coming together, praying together, speaking to one another, joining in any kind of work seemed so far out. But it was beginning to change just like the 60s changes changed, so did the 70s. And so in 1966, there was an article in the State Journal about the sisters, now called Holy Wisdom Monastery, not then, opening St. Benedict Center for Christians of any denominations, calling it a leap over the cliff. Well, we didn't feel it was a leap. We felt it was the next step. But to many Christians and to many Catholics, it seemed like surely we leapt over the cliff and would never be heard from again. It seemed so very radical. And yet it did follow our interfaith conferences that we had, the folks who approached Bishop O'Connor to open up the center in 1966. So it was reasonable and warranted for us, but of course not many people had that history. So we want to start with 1966 and the fact that now we have been given the okay by our bishop 
to open a center where Christians of any denomination can come, people of no denomination, people of world religions can come and retreat there. And so it's exciting to go back and think about those days. Now, of course, today, everyone is comfortable with speaking to Christians of other denominations or, Christ or people of no denomination. I'm as comfortable speaking to members of world religions or the Dalai Lama as I would be to a bishop or anyone else. And especially, I want to convey to our listeners the values that come out of our Benedictine tradition that made this possible. And those values being hospitality, of course, common prayer based on the scriptures, community living. All these were embraced by Christians too, but we never talked about it. So I don't know what you would like to okay. speak of, Mary David. Well, one of the first and many jobs I've had at first um, St. Benedict Center, prior to that, it was the Priory and School, Academy of St. Benedict. So I became the director of St. Benedict Center, and we were opening up to receive uh, groups for uh, meetings, for programs, all having to do mostly with the spiritual life. Mary so, David, I want to interrupt for a minute because this is rather humorous. There was a group of women who called themselves the Little Sisters of the Sisters of St. Benedict. <laughs> and they were women. I'm sorry, go ahead, but I didn't want to lose that. And so it was it was an exciting time because usually Roman Catholics didn't pray in Protestant churches, and for goodness sakes, Protestant didn't, didn't come to a nunnery or a convent or a priory or all the other imaginative ways of describing women religious or sisters in the Roman Catholic Church. So we had groups from Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, Presbyterians, etc., and we always invited them to prayer, the Liturgy of the Hours. As then, we also had um, the Eucharist, the daily Eucharist every day. At first, everybody said, well, you know, we, we are separated brethren. That was the term we used. We can't just invite you to the Eucharist. But after a year of that, and people would ask and would say, well, it's up to the spirit. We're, we're not saying yay or nay. Anyway, it was an exciting time. We listened to people share their faith. They asked the sisters questions. What was it like to be a sister? What were you doing before you came here, etc. And uh, Walter Brueggemann, a Hebrew professor, United Churches Christ minister, frequently came as a leader for Protestant churches. And uh, we would go to his homilies or go to his program. And he said this, he says, what we've experienced when people pray together is one of the most subversive things one can do, pray together. Why? Because it moves our spiritual lives to see another person in a new light, uh, one that's equal 
to us in the body of Christ. And so all the volumes we've written in the churches to separate us, why Lutherans believe this and Catholics believe that and, and Episcopalians believe that, melts all that away. And we see one as members of the body of Christ. And again, I want to say that people of other Christian denominations, and that's uh, really what we're talking about in ecumenism, appreciation and understanding for Christians other than one's own denomination. But this importance of hospitality in the Benedictine tradition, receiving all as Christ, the common prayer based on scripture, this was as important to these other Christian groups as it was to us. Community living was important. But I would like to tell the story of the 70s in part through the Lutheran missionaries that came here every summer for 17 summers preparing to go to a, a mission abroad someplace in the world. And I told one of them one day, you are converting the sisters. And he said, that's okay, sister, you're converting us too. And so what did we do together that converted us? Mary David said, yes, we prayed together, but we ate together. We were friends with the ministers, with the women, with the children. Mary David's favorite phrase was, we got used to spill milk in the dining room and crying babies at night. <laughs> and they got used to the sisters disappearing to do their sister community things. We played ball together, we recreated together, we did dishes together. And by the end of those years, we had so much respect and love for each other. And the leaders, of, of course, were especially dear to us, like Reverend Ivan Fagri and his wife and Ma Polly, was it? Yeah. And two daughters and others of their children. So if you can imagine this happening in a place called St. Benedict Center and Monastery, it would be pretty unusual. But nevertheless... It was very important and is partly, I'd like to think, responsible for the openness now between Christians of all denominations. And in the uh, late 70s, 1979, because now we had people understood that St. Benedict Center was open to people of all religions you know, uh, Rabbi Swarzynski was here in the 60s, and the university was sponsoring the Dalai Lama his first time, I think, to Madison. And so they asked us if we would be open to him coming. And we said, sure. We changed the things in the chapel, uh, which held about 400 people, and we had 450 just packed in our chapel for the Dalai Lama. And so there again, we, we recognize the commonality because of the Buddhist tradition, 
from where he came from, lived in community. So there were lots of similar practices. Then we had more Buddhists coming and we learned more about them and they learned about us. I think it's important for me also to say that it wasn't just good feely-feely kinds of things, but we had scholars, scripture scholars, theologians, and we were all learning by that. I mean, we, from Walter Brueggemann, the scripture scholar, he was acceptable to the Christian traditions. Uh, Henry Nowen. Uh, Douglas Steer from the Quaker tradition, uh, Joan Chittister, Kathleen Norris, and many others. So it was more than just, well, we come together to uh, pray together or hold hands. No, it was the everyday path to God that St. Benedict asks of people coming to the monastery. It's ordinary. Christian living lived extraordinarily well. But there were some people that were very formative in our development. Yes, in 1970, we hired a director of ecumenical development, and that he was Reverend Robert Raymond, a Presbyterian, who was involved in Christian education for the Wisconsin Sidham of Presbyterian Church. And he usually brought groups out to our place and uh, fell in love with, with St. Benedict Center and we with him in terms of he, he came to prayers every day, helped us develop ecumenical programs. We put on many programs like the Women, Church, and You, with, you know, to incorporate the opening up of women, ordained women in the Presbyterian Church already, and what would that mean for changes in the Roman Catholic Church? Robert, if I could just interrupt. Sure. Robert was brilliant, and he was immensely funny. He could remember jokes, and he'd regale us. We were such good friends. And well, not unfortunately, but he is deceased. His wife, Carol, is still living, and we are in touch with her and love communicating with Carol Raymond, and they have two children. But I have to bring this little bit of nonsense in. The sisters are called OSB, Order of St. Benedict. Robert Raymond, the minister, decided he was sweet old Bob. So his initials were S-O-B. <laughs> we used to play around with all these kinds of churchy things. We also hired Father Phil Kaufman, who was a Catholic Benedictine from um, St. John's University, St. John's Abbey, really, in Collegeville, Minnesota. And he was on our staff until 1976. And he was very, he was Jewish by birth and converted to Catholicism. He says he converted to Benedictine life first and then to Catholicism. 
And he was just loved to talk about world religions, about how the different religions relate to each other and all of that. Um, he, he was in the ecumenical and cultural research at St. John's University, was very, very prominent in, in, in that particular outreach. So with him, we also grew in adapting our Liturgy of Hours books, we began to use inclusive language. He was a wonderful homilist. He could just summarize the scriptures for the day in, in two or three minutes. So he and Bob Raymond together would do programs. We did programs with many of the different religious groups of women. So those were the days of the 70s that were exciting among religious groups. It, that was the new spirit of Vatican II. And everybody was looking how we relate to each other in a new way. I have one little thing I want to add. And again, it's humorous. It comes from the missionary, Lutheran missionaries, before they left. One evening, they did a skit for the sisters. And it was so charming. We were down in the auditorium. There was a curtain there. And they would come out periodically as if they were coming from the sisters' community and have something bright to say or something humorous to say, something that struck them while, they're, while they were with us. But their last skit, and they were all such gifted people. We still know many of them. One came out and he said, now you would like to know what happens behind this curtain where the sisters metaphorically live. But let me tell you, it's N-U-N of your business. <laughs> Maybe we should stop there. I want to say one thing more, Brooke. Um, the Summer Institute for Mission was with us for 17 years. And each summer for five weeks, we had a new batch of men and women, young college kids going off to teach English as a second language, ministers and their wives or, or with their husbands and children, uh, retired folks going off to Nigeria or someplace. So, you know, it was an opening up, first of all, just to come to our place and then to be there for five weeks. So for 17 years, we always say, why did we become ecumenical? Well, it was the experience of hospitality of, to one another from different traditions. And like Walter Ruggerman says, the most subversive thing you can do is pray together. And who would think that missionaries going abroad from the Lutheran church would become good friends of Catholic sisters living in a monastery. Considering how hospitable and welcoming you are, I can't say I'm too surprised. Uh -huh. Well, thank you both so much for being on and for sharing more of your story. It really is so inspiring and such a blessing of the place that you've been able to create where people of all denominations and even all various religions are able to be welcomed. That's such a gift. Thank you once again to all of our lovely listeners. So glad that you could join us for this episode. 
Now, if you want to be notified of upcoming episodes, there is a email notification that you can sign up for on our blog where all of the episodes are also listed and you can listen to them there as well. Don't forget to follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And until next time, hope you all stay safe and do well. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Holy Wisdom Podcast. To learn more about us, get updates about new episodes, or to send a message, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram under the name Holy Wisdom Monastery, or visit our website, benedictinewomen.org.